This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Uh, thank you, Tim, and thank you to uh, Carta for their vision in sponsoring these wonderful symposia. Um, I want to start with one picture here, which is a picture of what was intended to uh, inculcate into the readers of this magazine, Time magazine, that uh, DNA did everything that you uh, would want in a car. And unfortunately for this ad, of course, Volvo was taken over by Ford. So um, there's been a cultural change since this ad came out. We don't know yet what that cultural change actually will bring about. It hasn't been long enough. But the general problem that we face is um, how important are the genes relative to the other things that go on in the human life. Um, and what I'm going to do is to start quite a bit of time ago with a picture that tells you about what uh, my colleague Cavalli Sforza, who just died four weeks ago, and I called the serial founder effect of people leaving Africa between 50 and 100,000 years ago. And what you see here are the people who are the most variable. They have the most variation in terms of colors and genes. And when they leave Africa, a small number of those individuals uh, approach this area here, probably the Levant, and then they diverge into groups that go to Africa and Asia. Some go down into the oceanic area. And the final group to move moves across this Bering Bridge here into the Americas, and you can see the pattern of variation here is much less variable than here. Now, econo some economists, and I'm referring to these particular ones, think that there's something else going on, and that they claim that the pattern of human variation has been associated with economic development. And they did it by doing the following picture, which is... Um, this famous, infamous paper by Ashraf and Galore, where if you look at this graph here, which is the essentially population density in the year 1500, which the economist chose, and this is a pattern of uh, lack of genetic variation. So the people who lack most of the absent variation or the people who are the most variable are the Africans, and the people who are the least variable are the indigenous Americans. And they concluded that having an intermediate amount of variation was conducive to economic development. And this is just one population density, was just one of the silly things that they did. But the idea behind bringing this to your attention is that this is published in the most eminent economic journal in America, in the world, in fact. And uh, not only is it silly, but it's wrong. Uh, they claim that a one percentage point decrease in diversity 
for the most diverse society would be associated with a rise in its population density by 64%. So this kind of misuse of numbers, not, not only was it in that paper, but it also was brought over into another paper they wrote about cultural fragmentation. And uh, trying to point out that genetic diversity actually is a cause of these social phenomena. Um, not only were they uh, silly, but they were wrong, and there were a series of papers published shortly after this one came out that addressed that their population estimates were wrong, their time of uh, getting agriculture was wrong, whether there was cooperation in the societies they were looking at was wrong, and of course, how much genetic diversity was related to uh, innovation was wrong too, because fruit flies have a lot more genetic diversity than humans. Their innovation is not nearly as great, as far as we know. <laughs> so in the Human Genome Diversity Cell Line Panel, which Luca Cavalli, Sforza, and I started to develop in the early 1990s, we looked at ge genomic variation in people from around the world 52 populations, and where they're uh, located is this marked with these red X's here. And those uh, peoples, uh, we would love to have a lot more in the human genome diversity cell line. And people now have in their laboratories hundreds of populations from around the world where the DNA is uh, currently available for analysis. Our idea was to have this panel available in Paris and any lab in the world could just get the DNAs and do their studies. And this was uh, the first study that we did on those people in that study. These are uh, indigenous Americans, these are indigenous Africans, and these are Europeans. But the interesting thing about this slide is how many of these populations around the world have ancestry in more than one place including these people who have ancestry in three places. And the Uyghurs in China have ancestry in three places. And the Hazara in uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan have ancestry in three different continents. So ancestry is a much better idea about describing populations than is race. Now, if we go back to that silly economic slide, when you look at the data that we've uh, produced from that study, they were using my data. That's what made me so mad. And this, <laughs> this, this was the data, th these were the data they were using. Um, we plotted mean uh, diversity as a function of distance from Addis Ababa. And what you can see here is that the Africans have the highest diversity and the indigenous Americans have the lowest diversity. And we can ask why. Well, I showed you why in that migration trait. It was a property of uh, prehistorical migrations, that the African population was the population from which everybody else was devised, derived. They have the most variation. They've been there the longest, accumulated the most mutations. And the indigenous Americans have been in their small group that came across from the Bering Bridge. That group's only been there in position for 15,000 years as opposed to the 100,000 years before the, American, the indigenous Africans left. 
Now, to prove that, we looked at the DNA of these peoples around the world to find out how long the stretches of DNA without any variation should be there. And what we see is that there are two kinds of reasons why people have lack variation. One is the historical phenomenon that I told you about of small population size, that these are the indigenous American people. And the other one is a cultural phenomenon, and these are all the Islamic populations in our study. And they have the same level of homozygosity or lack of variation that, as the indigenous Americans. And the reason is these populations practice first cousin marriages. These are highly inbred populations from Pakistan, Afghanistan, and the Middle East. So the cultural explanation is the explanation for this part, and the historical explanation is the explanation for that part. That's the demography side. Now, since that study, there's been 189 populations studied. And I'll ask you to focus on this list. Um, what we see here are the indigenous Americans, and what we're looking at here is having five million nucleotides without any variation. And you see mostly that the populations in the Americas have a very high rate of homozygosity. The uh, populations of Islamic extraction have a very high rate of homozygosity. And these populations here are really interesting. These are the Jewish populations. And one of those populations particularly interesting, this one here, that's a population in Israel called the Samaritans. And most of you have heard of the Samaritans because there was a good one. <laughs> now, the Samaritans are an interesting group because they don't believe that they should be separated from the other Israelites. They have a very interesting history. This is the high priest of the Samaritans currently. There are about 850 of them half live in the center of Tel Aviv and half live in a, a village in the West Bank. But in 1917, there were 150 Samaritans left. They spoke Aramaic and they uh, did not believe in any of the Bible except the five books of Moses. The rest of it, the prophets and the writings, they didn't care about. And part of the reason is their history this is the Assyrian Empire between 900 and 607 BC. And this is the history. Everybody can read this for themselves. This is uh, <laughs> called the Nimrud Prism, in which Emperor Sargon II, who conquered the northern kingdom of Israel in the year 722 BC, wrote down what he did. And this is the story. Now, if you want an easier bit, you can read the translation here that, that uh, he tells that he took out the people, as was his custom, from the northern kingdom, moved them to what is now Iraq, and replaced them with people who he already had conquered. And this was his pattern. However, the Samaritans believe that they descend from people who never left that they are the descendants of the children of Manasseh and Ephraim, two of the children of Joseph, two sons of Joseph, and they never left. Now, the Bible actually has a contradiction about these people because if you look at the book of Kings, it says exactly what the Nimrod prism says. 
that he took the king of Assyria, brought men from Babylon and these other places, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. Unfortunately, the Chronicle says exactly something else, because Hezekiah is the king of the Solomonic Empire, and this is in the year uh, 700. This is after the conquest. So if the Israelites had been taken over and left and there were none there, why would he be writing to Israel and Judah and the children of Ephraim and Manasseh and asking them to come to Jerusalem to keep the Passover? So there's a contradiction there. And the scholars say, oh, Chronicles is written a lot longer after. It goes to about 400 BC, and the Book of Kings is really kosher. We've got to believe that one. So um, either way, there's something to explain here, and so we tried to explain it. Um, Samaritans, being a Samaritan is passed down along the male line. Male Samaritans can marry anybody, and the children is a Samaritan. There are only four families, Cohen, Yoshua, Marchiv, Danfi, and Tzedakah, and they are endogamous. They marry within the line. So it's not unexpected that they have the highest inbreeding coefficient of any population in the world. They have, they're the only population I know of where a quarter of the mothers and sisters of colorblind men are also colorblind, because as you know, colorblindness is usually in males. So the Samaritans are really quite interesting, but as a consequence of this cultural phenomenon of preferring to marry within the line, within the marriage line, they have these genetic properties which we can get at by looking at the Y chromosome because the descending gene which defines you as a Samaritan is your Y chromosome because only males can pass being a Samaritan down. So we did that. We looked at the Y chromosomes of the Samaritans and compared them to all the other populations of Jewish people in Israel and in addition to Palestinian and to Ethiopian Jews and to Druze and Bedouin. And lo and behold, they're the closest by far to today's Kohens. And Kohens are the high priests of the Jewish religion. So it turns out that the Samaritans are actually related, closer to the Jewish people, and they're Israelites. They must be Israelites to have this close relationship on the Y chromosome. If you study mitochondrial DNA, it's a totally different story because the women are coming from everywhere. They're not from Samaritans. So you won't see anything like this, which we did which is an interesting phenomenon. So the the culture has again defined the pattern of genomic variation. Why did this happen? Well, this guy, Josephus, an interesting fellow who was hated by the Jews at the time because he was a turncoat. He joined the Romans and became a writer and reporter for the Romans. And the Romans who were in Israel and destroying the temple and particularly attached himself to Vespasian, who destroyed the temple in the year 70. And he writes about a time of history, 300 or 400 years before him, and he mentions Sanballatis, who is that Persian governor of Samaria and Judea, and Manassas, who was the brother of the high priest in Jerusalem. Now, he'd have to be a Cohen, because only Cohens were high priests. And 
Josephus says that Sanbalites gave Manassas his daughter and along with other of the high priests, they converted to become essentially Jewish, Samaritan. So they were Cohen's. So the male lineage descends, in court, according to Josephus, from that line. So we don't know whether there's any truth to this. This is the only evidence that, my, that I and my religious scholars have been able to find to say why the Samaritans should be related to the Cohen's, the high priests of the Jewish religion. Now, my final example of how culture affects genes concerns the Canadian fur trade and tuberculosis. This is a pattern of the global incidence of tuberculosis rates from the United Nations documents. It hasn't changed much since then, maybe gotten a little worse down here in Africa, southern Africa with the advent of HIV. Um, this is a story from the famous book written by Ferguson in 1928 about how many deaths occurred from TB in indigenous American po uh, Canadian populations. And these two peaks, which tell you over 10%, maybe 14% of indigenous Americans in Canada died in those times. They died because they were put into reservations. And the reservations were extremely badly uh, designed. The people were dying like flies of infectious diseases. They had no blankets, no ventilation. So the question is, if these people had that problem, then why is it the case that so many Indigenous Americans in that part of Canada died? This lady who's pictured here in the canoe of the fur traders going down this long river here, this river zone here, from Quebec, we found out that if we actually looked at the DNA of the bacterium that was in the Canadian indigenous peoples, it was exactly the same DNA that was in the people from Quebec. Those people, the French Canadians, were in the Northwest Fur Trading Company, and the French had a different culture from the British. The French cohabited with the indigenous people and they passed on their TB bacterium. The British never homesteaded. They never passed on anything. They, did, they were hands off, the indigenous people. So what we see is this culture of cohabiting with the indigenous people that the French uh, Canadian fur trappers did was the reason why that bacterium passed these 1,500 kilometers into the indigenous people. So in conclusion, it's a it's obvious that if you look at the cultural uh, context around these human behaviours and the variation of the DNA, you can see that you can't say that it's the DNA that's causing these variations. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.